Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. So we have a change in the show this week. The wonderful Nicole has been extremely busy in real estate and she has decided to focus on that. So she'll be moving on from the show and I'm really excited to her and I wish her the best of luck. And we have Maria coming on as our new co-host. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. My name is Maria. I have been working in lactation for over six years. Shelly and I actually met when I started working as a certified lactation counselor at UMass Memorial Hospital. Um, and I think we kind of instantly hit it off. Mm-hmm. The rest is history from there, I guess. We've been friends ever since then. And um, last year, I took the exam to be an international board certified lactation consultant and have been working with Shelly in her private practice. And I started my own private practice recently as well, Um, which has been really challenging and rewarding all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Definitely comes with struggles that you don't always consider in the beginning and lots of little tiny pieces that you have to put together. I'm also a mom and stepmom. And actually, when my daughter was born and I was struggling horribly with breastfeeding, she was a terrible breastfeeder and I didn't know what I was doing as oftentimes first-time mothers don't know what they're doing. And I got really terrible support. I asked for lots of help, but everybody kind of shrugged their shoulders and was like, eh, I don't know. And that really frustrated me. And I said, there has to be something better. And so that's kind of what threw me into the world of lactation. It was probably one of the best career decisions I made. I find it, even though it's incredibly difficult and there's lots of tears involved, it's super rewarding to be able to help a family get to some place that they feel confident and they know what they're doing um, or they know where to go and ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. And I think that's how most of us kind of fall into this line of work. There aren't, as far as I know, there aren't like little kids walking around saying, I want to be a lactation consultant when I grow up. <laughs> like, no, I will say that Morgan talks about that sometimes. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the drawbacks of your mother being a lactation consultant is mm-hmm. that that's all you hear about. <laughs> yeah. And that you have food magnets on the fridge. Yeah. All of, all of your conversations are about booze. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think most of us just kind of fall into this line of work after we have Struggle. our own experiences and struggles yeah. and realizing that there's just not a lot of support out there for new families. Or the support out there is really inadequate, mm-hmm. which is what I ran into a lot of. Even like at the hospital, I went back to the hospital because they said I could for support after she was born and that the they were lacking. They shrugged mm-hmm. their shoulders. It was terrible. And then when I'm not working in lactation, I'm usually working either in my garden, getting really dirty, or in my pottery studio, getting really dirty, because I love to make ceramics and get dirty. <laughs> it's when I'm I'm happiest when I am the filthiest, is really what it boils down to. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that could be a tattoo. Like, I'm happiest <laughs> when I'm filthiest. Just put me in a mud puddle. I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. So if, if any of you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen like some of the boob mugs I have um, and Maria definitely made some of those. So you've seen her work. What's your pottery handle on Instagram? My pottery handle is pup dog pottery. Mm-hmm. 
And I also have, um, I just started an Instagram page for my private practice and that's just Maria Petty IBCLC. Um, there's not a lot up there just yet. I just kind of started it and I'm still trying to figure out what content it was going to be most helpful for everybody out there. So it's, it's a little slow going, but I, I, I post when I think of something, when I have a, an epiphany. Great. And I think I'm really glad that you're doing this show with me now because I think we, like you said um, earlier, we get along really well. You're just one of those people in my life that gets me. Okay. <laughs> Even like the dark side. Of me. <laughs> like, you're just like, no, I'm not going to judge you at all. Um, you're one of those people that I feel very safe around, Aww. which I appreciate. So I'm glad. I'm really happy that you agreed to do this Yay. with me after I begged I you like two or three times. It only, yeah, it only took major life changes for me to be <laughs> like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> So this week for our um, current events discussion, I thought we'd talk about the American Academy of Pediatrics new breastfeeding regulations or guidelines, I should say. They updated it for the first time in 10 years. New, but not really new. <laughs> so what, we, what we were discussing prior to this episode was really, it's just the United States trying to catch up with what the rest of the world already says. So. Mm-hmm. It's nice that we've gotten there. It's unfortunate that it took this long for us to get there, but it's, mm. I'm glad that we got there. Yeah. And I think all IBCLCs out there kind of had the same reaction that I did where we're happy that they're now encouraging these new guidelines, but also like we've been screaming this from the rooftops for decades for, now. Yeah, literally, yeah. It took this long for them <laughs> to update their guidelines to reflect the third, what the rest of the world knows, but also what we know working in this field. Yeah. Now we just need to get our support systems to reflect those new guidelines, Mm -hmm. or I should say to support those new guidelines. Right. Because right now our, what's the word I want? Not community, but society. Yeah. Societal support systems are incredibly lacking for all of those families that want to to follow those guidelines and want to reach those goals. Mm Yeah, and if you haven't heard about the new guidelines yet, the two major changes are is they are extending the recommendation for breastfeeding from one year to two years, which is what the World Health Organization has been recommending for decades. Decades, yeah. And then the second major change that they made was that they recognize that there aren't there isn't enough support for parents to reach these guidelines and that the providers like the pediatricians should be on the front line with helping to get policies passed and new laws in place that would actually help parents achieve these goals. And I've noticed a couple different reactions to these new guidelines. The first being people are celebrating them, which is great. But I think there's another set of people that kind of feel like this is a little bit of a slap in the face Mm. because it is already so hard for so many parents to hit that one year recommendation that was in place. Or let's just talk about six months. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes six months is too hard. And now they're saying, no, you should do it for two years. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably really true for a lot of people that had to give up breastfeeding because it just, they couldn't make it work and they really wanted to. And those are the ones I think that are probably the most heartbreaking. Well, to me, at least it's, it's heartbreaking to watch families really struggle and work really hard and still not be able to achieve their goals. It, you know, there's only so much you can do. And then some, sometimes it just isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And you can want it as much as you want it, but if you don't have the resources and the support, it's going to be a lot harder to reach those goals. Yeah. Especially like, you know, you and me, Maria, we live in a great state yeah. for like 
you throw a rock and there's three birthing hospitals that you could hit. And there's so many lactation consultants in this state, so many support groups, but you go to other states where they have like a a desert of care, like Alabama, which, you know, happens the last time I checked had the lowest breastfeeding rates in the country, but you can, you know, there are some areas of Alabama where there is the nearest lactation consultant is like a three or four hour drive. I was going to say there's a, there's a lot of states that don't have lactation consultants. They have lactation counselors, which is awesome. And I think those states really try to fill the gap, but they don't have the resources needed to even um, provide the support that they want to, to their families. And that's really uh, disappointing on many levels. Yeah. And even in the state that we live with all the resources and all the support that we have, I mean, we're pretty slammed because so many families are still struggling, even yeah. with those resources, even with that res- that support. So I can't imagine what it's like for families who don't have that yeah. to kind of help them through that journey. Yeah, and if you don't have like a and if you don't have a supportive family or you don't have a supportive partner, that can make things ten times worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my response to that that change in the recommendations and the guidelines is, you know, okay, so they're saying that the pediatricians and other providers should be on the front line to get legislation passed and laws passed to help these families. What is that going to look like? Is there a plan for that? Because it's all well and good to say, hey, we these, these are the new guidelines, but those are just words. Right. Yeah. Where Where's the action? When is that going to happen? Yeah. What is the action plan here? Yeah. Because otherwise you're just kind of talking out of your butt. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, I don't know. It can be more challenging, I think, for us in the state, because to your point, we have a lot of those resources and, and Massachusetts does try to provide support to families. We're not where we should be, but they definitely try to be ahead of the game as far as the rest of of the country goes, as Mm -hmm. far as offering paid leave to family members, offering lactation, like paying for lactation consultants Mm -hmm. um, from your health insurance, things like that. Whereas in a lot of other parts of the state, they don't even have the ability to take time off from work. They don't, that's not even, you have a baby born and then two weeks later, you have to go back to work. Right. And I'm not saying that there aren't families in Massachusetts that still have that because of financial reasons, but there's more opportunity, I think, in New England in general to, mm-hmm. to have that support. Yeah. So it's, I don't, it's a lot of other parts of the country that like, how do we get those people to want it as much as we do? How do mm-hmm. we get the rest of the 50 states out there? Yeah. <laughs> right. So I finally realized that like, hey, maybe paid family leave is a good idea. Yeah. I mean, Massachusetts started that, thankfully. So, yeah. um, which is really nice. And I've been seeing that in the families that we see where they're so excited because, you know, the mom gets a certain amount of time off and then dad will take his time off then. So for yeah. like the at least first six months. Yeah. The baby's home. It yeah. doesn't have to go to daycare. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, one of my families right now is doing that, that very thing is they're able to stagger their time off just based from the companies that they're working for. And that's another thing I have to say is shout out to the companies out there that are leaping ahead of government and saying, you know what? We should provide more support to our families and we should put these um, new policies into place. And because of how many studies out there show that supporting families actually retains employment. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, every, like everything out there, the more you support these families, the more they will stay and want to work for you. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's good to those folks. Glad for them. And I think companies are starting to change, like come out with better policies of their own. Mm-hmm. 
because I think also like the the new generation, I think it started with our generation, but even the next generation, like oh, yeah. they're not going to mess around. If, if you want to retain them right. as an employee, you better make it their worthwhile. Right. Like things like vacation and pay family. Right. And, and I love that. I love that people are like, no, if you're not going to pay me what I'm worth, I'm not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. I think there, I wish more people would be like that. I wish more of our generation would be like that. Sometimes it's not always possible though. So I guess it's it's a good start. We will see if there's any action behind it. I really hope there is. Every day I'm like, please, somebody get on this train. <laughs> Come on, join the family support train. Yes. Yes. I'm looking at you, Congress. Yeah, <laughs> looking at you, Senators. Where are those bills? Yeah. Yeah. We should do our question of the week. Yay. So this week's question was submitted through Instagram. And again, if you have any questions that you want to submit for us to answer on the podcast, you can DM me at ShellyTopIDCLC on Instagram. This week's question is, hi, I'm pregnant with my first. My sister has recommended that I put a nipple shield on my baby registry and have one ready in case I need it. She used the shield with all three of her kids. So I'm wondering if this is something I should do. So I love that your sister is supportive and that's awesome. And I love that they're going to be there for you and they'll probably have fantastic tips and advice and tricks for when your baby is born um, to help you breastfeed. Cause there's really nothing like somebody who's already breastfed to help you along in the beginning. It can make a huge difference. However, and this is a really big, however, not everybody is the same. Not every baby is the same and not every nipple shield is the same. And you could buy a nipple shield that is either completely inappropriate for your body, which could cause further damage, or you may not need it at all. And you might be creating a scenario where your baby becomes dependent on something that they never needed to begin with. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I guess now that I'm thinking about it, we should probably take a step back and define what a nipple shield is in case there's anyone who know. Yeah, fair. Do you want to take that one? Yeah. <laughs> a nipple shield is like a, the best way that I describe it is like a fake silicone nipple that goes over your own nipple. Um, nipple shields have been around for a long time. They, they used to cause problems with milk supply, but the new silicone thin shields typically don't. There are some studies, you know, often they're used because the latch is really painful and the nipples are um, damaged. Sometimes baby can't latch or stay on the breast and they're on and off the breast. Um, they, a lot of research has shown that it can help premature and small gestational babies transfer more milk. So they definitely have their uses and they can be a good tool to use, but you should use them under the supervision of a lactation consultant because like Maria mentioned, if you're not using it correctly, if you have the wrong size, or you have the wrong shape, it can make actually your struggles worse. Yeah. And you kind of threw a word in there that people probably won't realize. Nipple shields come in multiple shapes and multiple sizes too. And there's some of them out there, we were joking, that look like torture devices. They just, you would look at it and think, how in the world would a baby ever breastfeed with this thing? Again, palettes can come in multiple shapes and that the shape of your baby's palette might affect what type of shield you would or would not need to use. So they come in cherry shapes, tulip shapes, cone shapes. Mm. Oh, there's crazy shapes. Yeah, crazy <laughs> shapes that have like ridges and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So just putting one on your baby registry is probably not a great idea. First of all, because you may not really need it. 
And secondly, if you did need to use a nipple shield, like Shelly said, you'd really want to be using it under the guidance um, and supervision of a lactation consultant because eventually you do want to wean off of it. It should really be a temporary tool, not a long-term tool. They can be really annoying in the long run. Yeah. Very inconvenient. Very inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you need one, I mean, most hospitals have them, right? So if you really are having trouble latching, I usually encourage parents not to use a nipple shield in the first 24 hours because then it's much harder to wean the baby from. If the baby's not latching, hand express and through the classroom. But, you know, day two, if the baby's still not latching, a nipple shield might be helpful, but you want to make sure you're working with someone who knows how to size it. Yeah. Um, and most hospitals do have. Um, nipple shields available. I will say that sometimes they're a little bit too generous with those nipple shields, though. <laughs> Handing them out like candy. Handing them out like candy. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially for those first feedings. I, I see a lot of families that were like, well, the nurse told me I had flat nipples and I needed it. And I just kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, well, let's see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm not going to sit there and argue about something that a nurse told you that would be very unproductive. Mm-hmm. Good point. I should take your advice on that. <laughs> I mean, it's not my first instinct, but it's certainly <laughs> something I try. Yeah. Uh, it's accomplish. nice to have the mask on because it hides, like, the, are you kidding me look? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, parents are told all sorts of crazy things about yeah. their bodies that are fully inappropriate. Yeah. And not true, so. Uh, yeah. The whole flat nipple thing always drives me a little bit crazy because babies don't nipple feed. They breastfeed. Mm. They're latching to your breast. Not your nipples. Mm-hmm. But they're laughing, latching to your nipples. There's a whole other world of trouble that you're in for at that point. Mm-hmm. So just telling somebody that they have flat nipples and that's why they need a nipple shield is really unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of setting them up to fail. Right. That was a great question. Thank you so much to the um, person who submitted it. And if you have your own questions to submit, again, you can DM me at ChillyTapIBCLC on Instagram. I have been looking forward to this interview all week because this topic is something that I get asked almost every time I do a Q&A on my Instagram and almost every family that I work with wants to discuss this topic in one way or another. And this week's topic is contact napping. And we are going to be speaking with Kenzie Butkovic. Kenzie is a board-certified behavior analysis with over 13 years of clinical experience, and she's also a certified child sleep consultant. Her experiences include parent coaching, clinic-based services, and school-based consultations. After becoming a mom, she soon realized how challenging newborn sleep can be and wanted some support. This led her to discovering an additional passion to help other families facing the same struggle, and she completed a child sleep consulting course. Soon after, she founded Sleep Easy Consulting, which is home to a number of service offerings such as one-on-one consultation, guides, and newborn courses. Kenzie uses an approach for sleep based on the child's sleep profile and their needs. Kenzie supports families to teach their children healthy sleep habits and to empower parents to feel confident in supporting their child's sleep needs. Her approaches are responsive and based on evidence-based strategies and methods. Hi, Kenzie. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm really excited to talk to you today because I feel like when I do Q&As, this is this topic is like one of the most common questions that I get. Yeah, I get it actually a lot as well, where people aren't sure as to how to navigate it and what's the quote unquote best way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So can you explain what contact napping is in case there's someone out there that's like, I have no idea what these women are talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically contact napping is just that you're having baby on you throughout the nap to provide that nap to them. So it could look like where you're doing chest to chest or it could be even baby wearing, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's a holder or you're being able to have like a wrap that you're having them in. So I confess that as a mom, I loved contact napping. It was like one of my favorite things to do. It gave me an excuse to like sit down and rest. But as I had like my second and then my third, it got harder and harder to do because it's hard to just sit there and let your baby sleep on you when you've got like two toddlers running around the house, getting into everything. Yeah, I'm actually about to experience that. I'm pregnant. I'm actually I'm in labor right now. Um, And so I'm having the same thoughts in terms of how am I going to make this work? But the beauty of contact napping is that it doesn't have to look a particular way. And that's where baby wearing for contact naps can be super actually helpful if you have multiples because you have the baby in a wrap and you have your both of your hands free to be able to navigate and help your toddlers out or do whatever you have to do. I used to wear my newborn all the time. He, that's the only way I could get naps in. Mm-hmm. And so you can get creative and you get used to having the baby in front of you. I mean, you had them in you for nine months. So you're used right. to having that watermelon in front of you. So it's kind of no different. Right. And I did a switch because my third baby he was like pure orchid. You could not put this kid down. He would just cry. So he just lived in the carrier, napped in the carrier, ate in the carrier. And then I took him out of it at night. Yeah. And that's the thing that I love about the carrier is that you can feed them in the carrier as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not something that you have to kind of take them in and out of or feeds. And so it gives you that flexibility to kind of do what you need to do without Mm -hmm. having to worry. If you have a sensitive child, that's very attached to you, you have that option to be able to wear them throughout those naps and not worry about kind of how you're going to navigate across different kids Mm -hmm. or also different things that you have to get done, especially I'm in Canada. So our maternity leave is a little bit different than in the U S in the U (laughs) S right. You're going back to work really early, whereas we're 12 to 18 months. And so it can be really challenging, especially if you're working from home, where you have this newborn and contact napping can be a great way for you to be able to navigate everything that you need to do, all those different hats that you have to wear while being able to support baby's needs as well. And I'm so glad that you said that because a lot of parents get conflicting opinions um, or advice around contact napping. Like a lot of parents ask me like, well, the only way he'll nap is if he's sleeping on me, but I know that that's a bad habit to get into. And people tell me if I do that, he'll never sleep on his own or that he'll be spoiled. And what are your thoughts on that? I don't think that there are bad or good habits. It's things that work and don't work for you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important because really when you're thinking about it, I was told this, even with Griffin, my baby, who's now two years old, that when I was holding him so much that it was going to create a bad habit. And that's just two years ago. So this thought process is still around, even though it's a very old school way uh, in terms of mentality of you need to put them down to allow them to self-soothe and be on their own. You, they, you don't need to hold your baby all the time, but research has actually shown us differently for that, where that contact is very supportive of them, especially in that fourth trimester. And so what I look at is, does this work for you or does it not work for you? If it doesn't work for you, make little changes so that you can find that balance between your needs 
but also babe's needs because both needs are equally important. And mm-hmm. so it's just navigating what works for both of you through that. And why do you think some babies nap so much better when they're contact napping? Because some babies you can just put down in the bassinet and they'll nap great. And then other yeah. babies, it's like, you can't even think about putting them down. They'll crack that eye open and be like, I know what you're thinking about doing right now. So right? what do you think the, the difference between like, is there something different, I guess, between babies that causes some to like contact? Yeah. Napping? I think a big part of it is temperament, um, Mm -hmm. where you have for myself, my son was a very sensitive and attached sleeper. Mm -hmm. And so it was me. He needed me to be close proximity or he had a major case of FOMO, fear of missing out. (laughs) He went right from coming out. He he had to be with me. And I also think it's that fourth trimester where I tell families that basically think of the fourth trimester. So three months after they're born as an invisible umbilical cord between you and baby still, where they actually don't realize they're separate from you still. And so a lot of babes are very sensitive to that and they need that contact to Mm -hmm. be able to support and regulate their system. Babies and newborns, especially, they cannot regulate their emotions on their own. They need to have co-regulation to be able to feel Mm -hmm. safe and secure. And so that contact nap, provides that support to feel secure. They feel that warmth, they feel your heartbeat. And so it's a great way to bond. And it's a great thing for the birth parent if they are nursing to help produce that milk. But it's also a great way to help other family members come in as well and have that bonding experience with the baby. So yes, contact napping is for their temperament if they need it, but there's also other benefits around that as well. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I've learned in the past that, you know, our babies don't know it's 2022. Like they still are hardwired as if it's caveman days. And if you're a baby in caveman days and you're put down, you're in trouble. So a lot of babies will just cry when they're put down because they, like you said, they don't feel safe. They need that connection. They need that regulation. And I've also learned, and some research shows that, you know, skin to skin contact and contact napping actually speeds up the brain development, especially the prefrontal cortex, which is so freaking cool. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I find it really fascinating because if you kind of go back in history in terms of looking at motherhood, it was very different mindset in terms of what the response, quote unquote, responsibilities were for a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was that very detached, okay, baby's out, but you have other people looking after baby or there's things that you have to do. And so now that research is here showing us that nurturing is so important And it can be overwhelming though, too, because sometimes you feel like I just had this baby in me for nine plus months Mm -hmm. and they still want to be on me. And some babies, Mm -hmm. if they could crawl back into you, they would. My son was one of those. Um, And it can be really hard, especially when you just want to have your own space, right? Mm -hmm. There's a balance to find how to make contact napping Um, successful where you enjoy it and you're not finding it where it's here we go again right right Um, and I feel like that's important so this narrative of talking about yes and contact napping is important and it is something that can be so common in our population but it's not because there is still that stigma around it but also finding that balance and that it's okay if you don't like it all the time Right. Because especially if you're, you know, a breastfeeding mom, it's, it's normal to feel so touched out 
by the end of the day that you're just like, well, you just get off me, like yeah. you're velcroed onto me all day. And I just, I just need to like, you know, I just wouldn't hand off the baby to my husband and go and like sit in the bathroom on the yeah. edge of the tub and like eat some chocolate. <laughs> just be like, this is my alone time. This is all I'm getting. Right. And especially like, I mean, you're a mama of multiples, right? You have multiple kids where you have lots of kids touching and needing that quality time too. I feel though that there is a change in the perception around contact napping and it is becoming more normalized, which is really good. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is more discussion around balance between moms and babies needs, which is really important or and birthing parents needs. And so I feel that these kinds of discussions are so important because you get these kind of statements of if you do contact napping, it's a bad habit. You're creating a crutch but you're not understanding kind of the mechanics behind it or understanding the whys and the importance. And so I feel like these discussions are just so important to give parents an understanding of why we're suggesting this. We're not just suggesting it to say it, but there is evidence behind it and research to show that it is something that is important and can help your, your child and the relationship with your child and the bonding with your child, but also help get sleep in. Right. So can you talk about like, why would it be beneficial for a baby to take a longer nap during the day? Like if you're thinking, okay, if I don't contact nap, my baby sleeps maybe 10 minutes, but if I contact Mm -hmm. nap, he sleeps an hour. Why is that important to have that longer nap? Is it important? Yeah, I feel it is. And I feel that nights and days go off of one another for sleep. And so if you have short naps and are cat napping all day is you're going to see that disruption in the night sleep. And so I always tell families to find a balance where you're working on one to two crib or bassinet naps during the day, not initially right from the get-go, but as they you kind of get more into a groove, but then just do contact napping so that you know they're getting good, solid, restorative sleep throughout the day because napping is so important and napping is essential for their development, for their growth. And it's something that they, they do need. And so contact napping can allow you to ensure that they're getting those naps in if that's something they prefer. Not all babies like contact napping, um, right? but for those ones that do like it and do struggle with the bassinet and crib, focus on the time across the day of when you're going to, you know, practice. I always say it's practicing crib sleep and then having mm-hmm. the contact nap in. So, you know, that you're getting that fulfilled sleep in and they're getting that good resort of sleep. Yeah. That's a great idea. Is there like when you're counseling families, do you, is there like a minimum length of nap that you're shooting for? It all depends. So especially newborn sleep is wacky. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. If you're trying to look for a pattern, there's no pattern. So naps don't actually consolidate till around five to six months. You're going to see nights get better first, typically, and you're going to see the first stretch of night get better first, um, and then days kind of roll around. And so with newborns, you're going to see them sometimes from a 20 minute nap all the way up to two and a half to three hours. Some may go longer. I always suggest capping those naps to ensure that they're not sleeping their day away sleeping away the opportunity to have feeds. There, mm-hmm. It is a myth that babies will wake up if they are hungry. It's actually not true. Mm-hmm. And so I look at sleep across the day um, as opposed to singular naps because I know newborn napping can be everywhere. And so you're going to aim mm-hmm. if you no, know, if the last nap was 20 minutes, try to aim for a longer nap and do that through the contact nap. And the next one might be short and that's okay. Or the next one might be longer and that's okay as well. So it's finding that balance and not 
being too caught up on nap lengths. It can be hard though, if you're having like mini naps, cat naps, one after the other. And that's when that contact nap can be so beneficial because they're getting that sleep and you're getting that, that rest as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would just love like sitting in, I would just sit in front of the computer and like do whatever work I needed to do or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if this is something you talk with the families you work with, but do they often ask if they're interested in doing the baby wearing for the contact naps, like what the best carrier is? Yeah. So they'll ask my opinions and I, I'm very open in terms of what has worked for us and what has not worked for us. But my, my suggestions are merely based upon Griffin, my son approving it. Mm-hmm. He knows what the next baby will like. Um, but I love the Tula uh, carriers because you want to make sure that if you're using a carrier, they're having the proper positioning in the carrier. Um, and so I like Tula because they have newborn and infant carriers, but they also have ones for toddler and I can carry my son still in a carrier if we, if I choose to. Um, mm-hmm. and I also love the Beluga wrap. That's a Canadian brand and it's a wrap that you just wrap around your body. Very simple to do. And you have baby in there. Um, and they're nice and secure. And so those are the two that I tend to lean towards and what he has accepted and approved as his golden standard of what he would sleep in. Um, and I mean, Tula, it's so good that we got it as a toddler for him and it's, it's a really good line. It's good quality. Yeah. I've heard great things about that brand too. It wasn't around when I was having babies. I did, uh, you know, confession. I had like this huge shopping issue when it came to carriers. I think at one point I owned like 35 (laughs) and I made a lot of them myself. Like I was really into sewing back then. So I would But so it was kind of like, I had my favorites for if I was just around the house versus if I was going for a walk or I was going to be in the store um, and what age the babies were and everything, but it can take some time to find the carrier that works for you and your baby. Cause we're all different shapes and sizes. Our babies are different shapes and sizes. Yeah. You know, breast size can make a big difference in which carrier you choose. Yeah. And I like, um, the reason why we chose Tula as well is so my spouse could wear it so that it could go between my body and his body with ease. Mm-hmm. He didn't care for the, the wrap carrier. He didn't feel, mm-hmm. he always felt like the baby's going to fall out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's finding that, like that striking that balance in terms of what is comfortable for whomever is going to be wearing it. So let's say you're working with a family and they're like, you know, we've enjoyed contact naps up to this point, but we need to move on. Uh-huh. So I know like it depends on every family is different, but in a general sense, what kind of guidance would you give them? I'm actually wrapping up with a family this week who he only was doing contact naps. He just turned five months. Um, Mm. We started working together four weeks ago and it was all contact sleep, even at night. Uh, Oh, wow. It was all contact sleep. So parents were exhausted to say the least. And so I always remind families when you are shifting gears, it is a marathon, not a sprint. And so Mm. I always talk about what that's going to look like potentially, but we never know until we're actually doing it of what that could look like. And so for some kids, it can be very quick process for some other ones who are very sensitive and attached. It can be a longer process. And for the Mm -hmm. little guy, it was a longer process. And so what I generally start to do is focus on one nap a day. So one nap, you're going to focus on practicing going into the crib where you are going to help them go to sleep whatever way that might look like. And then you're going to transfer them into the bassinet or the crib. And there's things you can do prior 
to get them into the crib to get them used to it. And so some things I suggest is warming up the bed. So you're warming mm-hmm. up the mattress with a hot water bottle or a heating pad. You don't want it hot. You just want it warm to the touch. It's nothing worse than being nice and cozy and then being placed somewhere cold. You're going to be starting mm-hmm. to make <laughs> Um, yep. Also transferring the scent of mom to the sheets as well. So I always encourage them to wear the sheets underneath their clothing for a little bit. And I say, if you get milk on it, if you're breastfeeding, that's fine. Not yeah. matter. It's probably Just better. stuff it in your bra. Right? Yes. I used to wear it all the time. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'd forget and go for a walk. <laughs> um, and so, and then you would transfer that to their sheets or to the bed as soon as you're going to go put them in. Mm-hmm. And also what you're going to do is pair the room as a good place. So what you want to do is essentially during awake times to spend time in the room where you're going to do maybe tummy time in the crib, or you're going to hang out there a little bit longer in the room. Mm-hmm. So that way it's pairing as a good place and not just this place where you put them to sleep. They wake up and you're, you're not there type of thing. So there's different things you can do prior to getting started. And then you're having that mentality shift as well. Because I find a lot of times when I am supporting families, it comes down to mind over matter sometimes when it's not going to plan. It can be very overwhelming and discouraging where it's, okay, this isn't working. What do I, what am I doing wrong is often mm-hmm. what I'm, I'm told. And I said, you're not doing anything wrong. It's practicing. So having that mind shift in terms of you are practicing getting them used to the crib and you are going to do this once a day and see how it goes. And then you can use a carrier for other ones. And then as I get used to that first nap, you see that first nap getting longer, they're needing less support, then you can kind of then go and scaffold to the second nap. And then the third nap, and the fourth nap, you're so slowly building it so that the whole day will be there. But you can still have that balance where some of them, you can still have that contact nap or nap on the go if you're doing a stroller if you need to. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can have a balance across the day. It really depends upon your lifestyle and what your mm-hmm. goals are and what you need out of it. I have some families, like the one I'm wrapping up with right now, where they do the first two naps in the crib and then they do on the go for the other ones. And that just works for their lifestyle. So you don't mm-hmm. have to do all or nothing and that's what I love about sleep teaching is that it doesn't have to be so black and white, right. it can be whatever you need to, to look like for your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Because if your baby's getting enough sleep and you're happy with how they're getting the sleep, exactly. It's, if it's not broke, right. If it's not broke, fix don't it. fix it. Yeah. And that's the thing too, where it's a process where initially they're going to need a lot of support potentially to go down to sleep. And you're going to have those thoughts come back in of, am I creating these bad habits or these Mm -hmm. crutches, but you need to support them in a way that they feel comfortable, secure, and confident, right? Because it's a new thing and they're so used to being on you that it's going to be a slower process. So it might be you rocking them to sleep and then transferring them and then slowly fading out that rocking where then you're just patting and shushing and then you're fading out that patting and shushing. I've had it to the point where parents just hold the baby's finger uh, Mm -hmm. as they fall asleep and that's all they they thought they want independent sleep. But when they got to that point, they said, I'm, I'm happy with this. I'm, I'm okay with that. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to look a particular way. You're going to problem solve through it to figure out what your child likes based upon their temperament. And you'll find out very quickly. And having that, again, that, I keep coming back to it, but having that mindset of you're practicing and trying to figure out what their sleep needs are. 
So if they're working on the nap, like the first nap where they're, they're practicing crib time and they lay the baby down and the baby just wakes up almost immediately or within a couple of minutes, do they then repeat the process to get the baby asleep? And then like, is it like, this is, this is probably going to suck for you, this yeah. practice nap, because um, we're going to increase your workload temporarily while we get him the baby comfortable napping in the crib. It's going to be short-term pain for long-term gain for, mm. I'd say the majority of babies. Cause there are mm. like, we talked about that, that little bit of babes that you can just place them in and they're good to go. Right. And so what I often suggest, and it depends upon the timing of when you do this. So for newborns, if you're trying to practice this, so if you're practicing this around, you know, six, eight, 10 weeks, um, you can, put them in fully asleep and then transfer them that way. So feed them to sleep, rock them to sleep, or you can do drowsy, but awake where, you know, they're almost out, but not quite. You're transferring them to the crib and helping them go to sleep in the crib. But if you're doing this for older babies and they've hit that three to five months progression, it's a whole different ball game. And it still can be done. I've had some babies come to me for 11 months going from contact wow. sleeping to now they're ready for the crib. Um, mm -hmm. Well, parents are ready for the crib. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so it really depends upon the age. So newborns specifically, I suggest it really depends upon what your goals are. And so I do not personally believe in separation based as a newborn. And so what you're going to do potentially for your child is if you have two options, you can feed them to sleep. And then once they've been out for about 10 minutes, you're going to bring them to the crib. It's nice and warm, has your scent, right? It's dark room, sound machines on. You're going to place them in the crib onto either their side, or you're going to put them in feet, bum, shoulders, and head and slowly guide them. Be like a ninja, mm -hmm. very slowly <laughs> place them in. Um, and then what you can do is if they become unsettled is then have them onto their side. And you're going to pat them on their lower back bum area and very gently and shush at the same time. And then as they are falling back to sleep, you roll them gently back over and place your hand on their chest, not hard, but firm so they can feel that contact and then slowly fade out that hand and fade out that shushing. Most likely they're going to wake up 10, 20, 30 minutes later. So you mm -hmm. can try that whole process again, where you're going to put them back on their side pat and shush um, and get them back to sleep and then roll them back onto their back if they go back to sleep. I only attempt this for 20 minutes. Okay. So I attempt putting the child down for a nap for 20 minutes before calling it and helping them. And then I extend naps for only 20 minutes because I don't want you being nap trapped in a room trying to get this child to sleep and it's just not happening. If they haven't gone to sleep yet, move on do contact nap and try again tomorrow, right? It's just practice you got them into the crib. That's huge. If they've slept 20 minutes and they're not accepting the pat for that extension, you have two choices, either go back to feeding to sleep or rocking to sleep and do that process over again, or just move to a contact nap. It, there's no right or wrong way about going about it. It's just what you're able to do in that moment. So if you know, mentally, I can do a contact nap or I have the time do it. If you don't, you can end the nap and then just move on and do a contact nap for the next one. For older babies, it's going to look a little different though, where you're going to want to have them go down awake because otherwise those short naps are going to come in because mm. they're going to want, as the sleep cycles change, and they go into the next one. They're going to want to go to sleep how they went to sleep. So if you feed them to sleep, 
rock them to sleep. If it works for you, that's great, but they're going to most likely wake up during this process to get that back again, to go back to sleep. Cause that's what they want. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't want to feed them back to sleep or rock them. That's where you work on those independent skills. Great. I love that answer. Cause it's so respectful of the baby's needs. And like you said, finding that balance between yeah. mom and baby. And I always tell families, especially for newborns, when you're practicing this, assume they're going to wake up, just assume it. And if they don't, you're pleasantly surprised. But if, <laughs> yeah. they, but if they, if they do wake up, you know, okay, I know I was expecting this. I knew what to expect. Right. Right. I was also wondering if you have a family that has like, they've followed your process and successfully weaned off contact naps. And then the parents like, you know, I kind of miss it a little bit. I want to go back to doing like one nap a day where I contact nap. Can they do that? Or does that mess the whole process up? It depends on a child's temperament, to be honest. It's kind of like when you're weaning, if you're breastfeeding or weaning a bottle, right? It all Mm -hmm. depends upon the kiddo. I usually suggest if you're going to do that, do it for the last nap of the day, because usually that's the hardest nap for them because of the sleep pressure. Um, and so we want that to be a shorter nap anyways, um, so that it doesn't interfere with night sleep. And so what you can do is have that contact nap for the last nap if you really want it. And that way you have that balance. But then if they're on more naps, so if they're on four naps, for example, you can always alter it where it's you no know, crib contact crib contact kind of thing it doesn't have to be all or nothing again it can have that balance but for some kids they might get really confused by it like mm-hmm. you can see some resistance where they start doing kind of like starfish not wanting to go into the crib mm-hmm. um, and trying to avoid the kind of clawing onto you that would be a good indication where they're getting confused and it's mixed messages yeah and if that happens i don't know you can get a puppy to cuddle And that's, what's hard too, is that, I I mean, a mama of multiples yourself, you're going to know every child's sleep needs are different and they're all, they're different in terms of sleep temperaments. Right. And so what works for one child may not work for another. So you may be able for one child to go back and forth and have no issues, but the next child, you need to be all or nothing. You have to actually be all or nothing because it confuses them and they're very sensitive to those changes. And so I have some children that are very adaptable. They can do those car sleeps and it works. They can do stroller. And the next time they can go into the crib and no issue. Other kiddos, very sensitive and any changes to those schedules, once you have that consistency in place can really throw kind of a curveball into their sleep. Personally, I still do contact sleep with my two-year-old when he's sick like if he he needs it I I do it right if mm-hmm. he's waking up in the middle of the night like last night or the night before because he's going through progression I, I rocked him a bit right so it's not that you have to always say like hey, goodbye it just really depends mm-hmm. upon your child so don't take offense to it if your child can't do it just that's just what their needs are right and the temperament and all that yeah This has been such good information. I am so glad that we agreed to do this interview. What else do you think parents need to know about contact napping? Give yourself grace. That's the biggest thing where it's going to take time to get comfortable with it if you've never done it before. Research and ask about the different products. You know, what works for one family doesn't work for another. A lot of companies, before I purchase stuff now for babies, I look to see their return policy because there's some great companies that allow you 
to exchange or refund, no issues, and other companies do not. So before you go to invest, look at that. You're going to get products. Secondhand stores are fabulous. You can actually go in there, look at the material, try it on, wear it around the store to see if baby actually likes it. And so those are great ways to try out the products too and not have to invest so much money because they can get pricey. And then also take it one sleep opportunity at a time. Don't look at it as this has been, you know, a crap nap day because the child's been on me the whole day. It's going to fluctuate from day to day. And that's the biggest thing, especially with newborns. You might have a great day of crib sleep and the next day you're back to contact napping the entire day. That is so common. And it's just that sleep rhythm and them getting used to different things. It's a very different world from being inside in a dark warm place that they're mm-hmm. secure and all their needs are met without having to communicate to have their needs met to then being on the outside it can be very overstimulating. So if you have to go back and forth initially when you're starting off this process, that is completely to be expected. And it's not that you're doing anything quote unquote wrong. It's just you have a newborn. And so with newborns, I find that it's really expecting those sleep hiccups and being okay with them and that they're going to come and it's not going to derail everything. Don't worry about creating those crutches. Don't worry about derailing all this progress, really lean into what they're communicating. And sometimes you just have to do it to be able to get by mentally because you just can't do those short nap days all day. It it can be Mm -hmm. very exhausting. Yeah. I love that. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your business, how you got into this business? Yeah. So I am the founder and owner of Sleep Easy Consulting Sleep Services. I am a board certified behavior analyst for 13 years now. Um, And so I've been helping families have different needs with their kiddos um, with special needs and sleep was one of them. And then when I had Griffin, I experienced it as a parent on my own and I was not prepared. We, my spouse is a board certified behavior analyst as well. And we thought we'd just bring Griffin home and he'd sleep and if you're a parent, <laughs> yes. you know that's not the case. And I had, like I said, a very sensitive and attached sleeper. Um, and so that was the reason I got into it because I felt very isolated. It was in the middle of a pandemic. Here in Ontario, we are going back into another lockdown. And so I found someone to help me with my sleep for Griffin. And then I took the, the coursework to become a sleep consultant. And I started the business up to help other parents so that they don't feel alone and to normalize sleep and what it actually is. Because I had no idea. I had a lot of people around me that were talking about those myths of sleep, telling me all these different things to do. And they just, it's outdated. And so I just really wanted to support parents to feel confident with their child's sleep. I love it. And it's, it's funny how like people in the industries that we serve, like lactation and sleep and doulas and midwives, it's, it's something that we just kind of like fall into. It's not something that as a little kid, we were like, I'm sure as a little kid, you weren't like, I want to be a sleep bitch (laughs) when I grow up or whatever. Um, and it's usually based on our personal experiences. So we do have a passion. I had it. no idea that there was a field, to be honest, um, as mm. consultants, even in my profession as a board certified behavior analyst, no idea this was even around. Um, and so I often talk to new parents before baby comes about what to put on their baby registry. 
and it's not the items or the nursery. Mm -hmm. You're looking for doulas, lactation consultants, a sleep consultant. You're looking Mm -hmm. for those, you know, night nurses. You're looking for different things Mm -hmm. that you never would have thought of. Right. Probably floor specialist. Yeah. You'd never think of those things until you're actually in the thick of it and being like, whoa, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And so it is, you often find it where you're kind of falling into it. And now I have parents that I'm supporting wanting to get into this because they see that it doesn't have to be this big, bad, scary thing. Cause often sleep learning can have a lot of stigma attached to it. It just, it's what you make of it and what you want to mm-hmm. do with it and following your own goals to, to reach what you want to, to reach for your sleep needs. Yep. Amazing. 100%. Where can people find you if they want to work with you or connect with you? Yes. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at sleep easy consulting. I'm there all the time. I'm posting daily and I do a free Q and a every Thursday. I have a blog at sleepeasyclinic.com. Um, lots of information there, free information. I have a ton of webinars, free webinars. I if saw you, that. Yes. Ton, I, I love webinars and talking. So I do lots of them based upon what my community is asking for. So if you go to Instagram, for example, and go to my bio, you'll see a bunch of freebies there. And then on TikTok, I'm at Sleep Easy Consulting as well. And I'm there daily where it's a little different than Instagram, where I'm often doing Q&A videos. So if you ask me questions in my videos, I'll pull those out and I'll answer them for families. Great. So I will put all those links in the show notes so people can connect with you. And I really appreciate you doing this despite going into labor, having contractions. Yeah, I'm really hoping it sticks because it's been off and on for like two mm. weeks. And today's like the first day where I was like, oh, it's really like more intense. Yeah. So predominant labor is not fun. Um, so I'm hoping this is here to stay. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you. Thank I'm you. hoping that I'll see, you know, a birth announcement on your Instagram. Right? <laughs> Thank you for having me though. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.